to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaefel. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, hey, hey. Back from Ignite. Are you recovered yet? Yes. Although Ignite for me was just one bad night. And I felt better 24 hours later, but the rest of it was good. How about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't talk about it on the show, but it was pretty funny. And I do have audio evidence <laughs> that will end up sneakily in one of these shows at some point in the future. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll save that one for a, a pristine moment in time. <laughs> That's excellent. So how was uh, how I, uh, was Ignite from the inside the Microsoft experience? How did you uh, find the, the show? You know, it's interesting because um, obviously when I was at Hyperfish, uh, you know, we, we didn't necessarily have sessions, but I was on the booth and had custom meetings. And um, that was, I felt was pretty intense that year because we were always there um, bouncing around between meetings and standing up all day long. And I figured I might have it easier being as I have a big session with Yina and I knew I had booth duty, but um, our booth was so slammed that although we had these scheduled booth slots, um, myself and Yina and Jason Johnson and Daryl Miller were kind of all like manned this one booth kind of focused on the graph. And um, it was nonstop. There was people lining up to speak to us and it wasn't the, what's the graph. It was really deep. Hey, we're trying to use a graph for this scenario and we'd like some feedback on this, or we think we've got, this is wrong, or can we have this new API? So right this week has all been kind of writing that all up and sharing with the relevant teams to make sure they're aware that these are the kind of things that people are asking for. And there's been a bunch of initiatives that have kind of spun up this week based on a lot of the feedback. Um, so as an example, a lot of people are like, you're not listening to us on user voice. So the first thing I've done this week is kind of get a complete grip on uh, what's going on there and starting to rattle some cages with PMs to make sure we're engaging properly there, which is, you know, that's the benefit of these events is them coming home and keeping that momentum going until build next year. I, I was uh, on the expo floor nearby you uh, i had uh, signed up to do a couple stints at the microsoft teams booth and when i got there i noticed they had a bunch of devices set up and kiosks on work hub or staff hub it's what it used to be called and and i don't know any of that stuff so i kind of moseyed over to the developer section and they had a teams developer booth so i hung out there which was a little bit more in my sweet spot and yeah i agree it was swamped lots of Lots of people in the developer corner of the expo hall that I really didn't expect to see at all. So I think that's a good sign. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, obviously, it is fairly um, kind of IT pro orientated. And one other, I guess, one of my biggest takeaways from Ignite was in Yina and I's session, which is essentially the overview of what we are announcing in Microsoft Graph. I, I would say sixty percent of that room of nine hundred people were IT pros. And what I'm guessing from speaking or from speaking to people afterwards was, is a lot of people were like, yeah, like we keep hearing about this graph thing from our developers internally, and we want to know what it's about and get a good grasp on it from an IT pro perspective. So it was super useful. And honestly, I changed a fair amount of my presentation on the fly based on that pivot pretty quickly when all those hands went up. <laughs> um, but I did spend a fair 20 minutes showing code and demos which um, got us very good ratings at the end. So we were really happy with 
our end scores and the feedback we got afterwards from people coming to the booth saying they really enjoyed the session. So I felt like I personally had a good week, but um, my feet and my left knee from a previous ice hockey incident uh, have still been suffering on this week. Yeah, that's the the worst part is being on your feet and walking so much. Although walking was less than it was last year, so that's pretty good. Yeah, they did a. You could tell they really did a good job of listening to the feedback from last year's ignite and changed up a bunch of things um, to make it better, so that we weren't having to walk as far. But it, I mean, that conference then is still big enough that you are still working a fair amount. <laughs> yeah, even in the one building, right? Exactly. Yeah, and so I know that uh, there's quite a bit of stuff from the graph at ignite and so i presume there's been some kind of recap or a summary uh blog that you guys have or will post right yeah so i'm literally just sitting here ready to click publish on a post that links to all of our on-demand sessions that pms did add at microsoft uh, ignite around the microsoft graph there's a few hidden gems where the titles are a bit too marketing-y and you might miss them um and so there's a really good one by peter uh Joukowsky, um, who's an awesome guy, always fun to talk to. He did a session around kind of performance handling and throttling around the graph, but the title really didn't say that's what it's going to be covering. And so I'm just writing up a blog post on that. So that'll be in the show notes. And then in addition to that, I've um, we have, or Ben Summers, sorry, um, and a bunch of us wrote a post which kind of summarized all the announcements that we did in that session. And if you listen to the podcast last week, you know, you remark touch on a few of those things but the blog post does a good job of just summarizing all that and that's all on if you go to graph.microsoft.com and just click in the top nav on blogs you'll be able to get to those two posts that's wonderful stuff and then i know there was a community call this week that i missed uh shame is, on you is, yeah, well i joined an isv right and so we have monthly <laughs> got work to do now. monthly shipping and when there's a big conference in one of those months it kind of shortens the time frame so the good news is uh wes wes has got his whipping stick out on you already right? yeah i guess yeah yeah well he's gone to bed now so I, it's okay for me to do the podcast but but uh got my code committed and pushed in uh uh, this this week, so I missed the the call, unfortunately. Uh, so, how was the the community call it was this week? Good. I mean, it was a bit of a rude awakening for me, um, kind of having to get back in the office for eight a.m. after having such a long haul week the week before. But um, yeah, the uh, we had Pretty that came on to talk about the security APIs. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and then we had um, David Clo, who is in same engineering. Uh, PM team as me um, talk about adaptive cars and he kind of really explained why they came about and um, you know what the benefits are and the decisions you have to make and we need to get him on the show actually to talk about that in more detail but they did a great great job of covering that off as well so yeah if you want to see some demos on that stuff definitely go check out that community call um, I'm sorry I missed David we, we chatted before so I, I did the the training content module on adaptive cards oh, last last okay. year yeah and and I, I I cut my teeth in programming on the IBM mid-range systems, which didn't have a graphical user interface, so uh, which is perfectly suited for my creative abilities. <laughs> and so uh, adaptive cards just let me describe what I want and let somebody else make it look pretty. And I, there's a lot of benefit there for a lot of developers. So I'm glad to see that the adaptive went GA. And I, and I know the in talking to the teams guys at the dev booth, they they've got full support. There's a 
uh, they call it full support. I, I, there's a couple little quirks. For example, some of the actions that work in Outlook don't work in Teams, which kind of makes sense when you think about the architectures. But anything you want to do can be done. So it's really nice. And we're actually rolling that into some of our uh, into our product as well. So uh, oh, really? I certainly recommend the, the adaptive. It, it's it, a lot of potential there. And um, I think I think we'll be in good shape. So that's good. It's good to see. I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, he's a, he's been around the traps for a long time and just a really super intelligent guy. And um, I've really enjoyed kind of learning from him from a PM side, being in the team now. And um, one of the things that was really funny was he actually was in my interview looped and grilled the hell out of me. So um, he kind of tells the first time I've been in an interview where I've been terrified of the questions going, oh my God, like he's really kind of making me think on the fly here. And essentially when I walked in the room, he handed me a pen and there was a blank whiteboard and he just started asking me questions and I had to kind of draw how I would do this as a PM. So yeah, that was, uh, I mean, I'd known him before, but to go through that grilling process in the interview was uh, something I wasn't expecting, but really enjoyed. But I was terrified at the end of it, whether I felt that he'd done a, I'd done a good job in front of him or not. So um, yeah, definitely worth listening to him and we'll get him on the show for sure. How about Excellent. you? What have you found when you've not been shipping product this week? So the uh, with with a limited amount of time, I end up on old reliable feeds, right? And, and <laughs> note this week is is our friend Chris O'Brien uh, talking about Azure Functions. And what's noteworthy here is that Azure Functions released v2 of the functions platform and there's a lot of new capabilities in there uh, and um, additional languages i believe I, I didn't read the ga announcement but chris does a good job of going through and, and talking about how kind of resetting based on what he's done in the past on functions and saying here's the new v2 platform and certainly um, helpful to get in that so we'll post a link to, to chris's stuff in the uh, in the show notes as well yeah, I, I mean, I'm using that um, in production for that personal app that I put in the iPhone store, the uh, Ustorian. And um, I learned some stuff that I wasn't aware of in there. And, you know, I was a PMM on Azure Functions two years ago um, when they were doing all the V1 stuff. But the improvements they've been on V2 and kind of cross platform tooling with VS Code is, is really, really nice. So if you're doing your functions, I'd highly recommend reading Chris's blog as usual. The quality of his stuff is kind of off the charts. So um, if you're not following him in Feedly, you really should be. I agree 100%. Cool. Well, so um, this week, oh. this week I, uh, you're doing an interview on your own this week uh, uh, out in Redmond. Can you give us a, a highlight of what, what we got on deck? Yeah, absolutely. So Nick Kramer is in the Microsoft Teams team or Microsoft Teams engineering team, maybe just to add a team team block. Um, and uh, we work with him closely on a kind of a day-to-day -day basis on making sure that we kind of get the word out there about what's available on the API and actually the demos we did in Yina and session, which Jason Johnson built for us, demoed a lot of the new stuff that he shipped onto the beta endpoint, which very soon will be V1. Um, so we'll talk about that in the show and hopefully you enjoy it. He's a cool guy. It means I have to travel down to Lincoln Square like this afternoon to record it, um, which is a hop, skip and a jump over the, over the freeway. Um, and so, yeah, it was great that he could jump on this stuff. And we've got a huge list of PMs now scheduled to go talk to about everything that was announced at Ignite and what their plans are for kind of the next three, six months, which is great. It sounds wonderful. Look forward to hearing to it. And I will, uh, we'll talk next week. Cool. Enjoy your uh, shipping process and don't push the big red button because where's my cry? <laughs> Thanks. See you, buddy. Cheers. 
Okay, so I'm in uh, Lincoln Square today in Bellevue, so not on campus, uh, with the Microsoft Teams guys. Um, so I'm here with Nick Kramer, who's been working on the Teams API since inception, right? Pretty close. Yep. The, the, uh, so you, do you get to go to the shopping mall a lot because you're in town rather than kind of isolated in the forest? <laughs> oh, I wish. Actually, I have never have time to go across the street <laughs> to get lunch, but always on the to-do list. Your, your cafe looks pretty fancy down here in the lower levels. Oh, it's got a great view. I won't say the food's all that fancy, but the view is awesome from the 28th floor. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, Nick, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate uh, thanks for having me. you carving out time. As I know with all the PMs, um, rolling off of Ignite last week is uh, taking a little bit of catch-up work for sure. But um, you guys were very popular there last week. Yeah, it was a big event. I uh, wasn't there myself, but it was uh, lots of energy I hear and uh, lots and lots of uh, graph questions as well from uh, from all angles. Yeah, it was insane. There was a big expo hall and uh, Microsoft Teams kind of had a lot of bodies there showing off their devices and talking about all the features on the big LCD screens. And then they were sending all the, the, uh, the developer questions over to our area. Um, so it was kind of Andrew Bybee and... Uh, a bunch of the other guys and girls on there kind of I think they were really impressed with the depth of the questions considering I mean, how long has Microsoft Teams been available now as a product inside of Microsoft yeah it's been uh, generally available for about let's think a year and a half I think it is I think it was uh, spring of last year was when the uh, the v1 was the general availability and and so with that in mind how long have you been in this team? Like, was the third-party ecosystem story kind of there from scratch, right from the inception? Yeah, I've been on Teams for about a year. Um, this is uh, quite close to my one-year anniversary. the uh, The platform was definitely not there from the from the get-go. It was um, definitely not something we had at first. We we started off with uh, bots and tabs. Uh, first, we built our own kind of first party tabs. And then at some point we realized we really need to broaden this out and let other people build tabs as well. And we built bots and connectors and tabs as that first kind of wave of extensibility. And then at some point we realized we really need to give access to the data in Teams as well. And that's where a graph came in, allowing you to access the data as well as the, the, the pixels of the application. Yeah, and I guess being that new, you're one of the first... Uh, workloads or services on the graph that is kind of only in the in the Microsoft graph as opposed to kind of some of the older legacy products like SharePoint and Exchange where they had their own APIs and then had to kind of move on to the graph. Yeah, yeah, we're really graph natives in that way. Yeah, that's uh, right. We, we are um, constantly learning about all the uh, dark corners that, uh, you know, <laughs> Frankly, not everyone's hit because they, they aren't 100% graph like we are. And, right. uh, that's That's been uh, occasionally challenging, but also really fun to, to pave the way because we know this is where we all need to go with these APIs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, so where were you before this role inside of Microsoft? I was doing something a little different. I was, I was over in Windows working on XAML. I'd been a, a UI frameworks guy for a long, long time. Oh, and right. uh, I decided to do something a little different with my life, wanted to... But keep that developer focus. I've been yeah. working with developers for um, I don't know twenty some years, and uh, 
wanted to keep that focus while doing a, a different technology and doing something with fewer pixels and more servers. So, so were you in the realm of kind of growing from the silver light areas into the XAML world? Oh, yeah. I, I worked on basically, at one point or another, I've worked on almost every UI stack that uh, Microsoft has had. I started out in uh, what eventually became WinForms and .NET. Wow. I then worked on the WPF from uh, day zero to... Uh, when we shipped that, I worked on Silverlight. I worked on, uh, I owned User and GDI at one point. Huh. I uh, worked on uh, NetUI, or not NetUI. NetUI is one of the names we, DirectUI is the, the name we, uh, uh, internal framework that uh, a lot of uh, pieces of uh, Windows XP used and a good chunk of Office used for a long time. Wow. Worked on Silverlight, worked on Silverlight for phone, worked on XAML, which is Silverlight-ish with some incompatible changes to work with uh, Windows RT. Yeah, yeah. And uh, brought that to an Xbox, brought that to a few other devices. So. Far out. So what would you say as a PM is the different, the, the biggest change for you from going from a kind of a UI-orientated extensibility model to kind of more pure API extensibility model? Yeah, it's a different world. I mean, I think there's, there's two different aspects of this. Um, the biggest one is just the process of it, and I think I'm not quite sure how much of that is services versus this particular organization, but this particular organization is, um, I'll call it fast and loose. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we call it from other organizations as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, in a good way. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a very, uh, things move very fast. We, we are definitely not real heavy on process. And, and <laughs> I came from a world which was at the other end of the extreme. Windows is definitely, uh, they have their processes and things can take a while sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was telling someone the other day that uh, when I was doing the PowerShell commandlets, one of the first things I did when I joined Teams, I'm about three weeks into the job and we're like sitting around the table going, what do you think? Should we ship this? Yeah, I think we should ship it. <laughs> okay, it's shipped. Like <laughs> there was literally no process. We were making this up as we went. <laughs> so, so a different different world. So a very different world from Windows, where you know you have a you know five thousand person organization and and uh, presidents and CEOs are signing off on whether you ship this thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think some people don't understand that level of formality that exists in some of these orgs for the right reasons. Um, but it definitely shows in terms of what, how Teams is progressing so quickly. And um, there was lots of announcements last week, not just on the dev story, but also just on the All Up product as well. I think from Twitter, my gut feel was the blurred background for videos was definitely one of people's favorites. That's one of my favorites. I I recently got a camera for my desk just for that feature. Oh, really? That was the motivation. Yeah, that was a big one. And uh, I guess I just wanted to, to showcase the uh, product a little bit more. Like uh, we have all this product that allows you to show videos of people in, in conferences and here I am showing a static picture. Yeah, that's right. We're, that. always, we're always staring at yeah. the NK alias uh, lozenge in the calls. Exactly. At least <laughs> it's a picture of me and not my dog. That's but. true. <laughs> um, and so how long, how long have you been at Microsoft in total then? 20 years. Wow. Like actually 20 and rolled over that. That's incredible. Yep. Over 20 years. 20 years this summer. That's incredible. I think you're the longest standing I've met in person, I believe. Wow. Okay. Um, and how did you get into technology? What was your kind of journey to get to Microsoft? 
Yeah, long, I guess, I don't know. I've, I've been a computer guy almost as long as I can remember since we got a computer when I was, I was probably in second grade, third grade, something like that, when we got our first computer at home back in the back in the 80s, a Commodore 64. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I kind of dinked around with programming for a long time. I think my, my dad uh, introduced me a little bit. He's not really a programmer himself, but he wrote a program. He wrote a little dancing mouse program was the first coding I can remember. And um, I guess I went from there and dinked around for quite a while. I'd, I'd, uh, one of my early memories is modifying some game, some kind of adventure game. It was too hard for me to play. And I was <laughs> able to, to find in the first 20 lines of code the magic numbers to give me like twice as many hit points or whatever it was. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, lots and lots of memories about Logo. And uh, I actually took Lisp, uh, Lisp in the uh, in high school, if wow. you can believe it, and uh, went from there. Uh, after uh, graduating from Carnegie Mellon, went to uh, work at a research lab across the street from CMU, worked on a little language called Dylan that no one's ever heard of and probably never will at this point. But <laughs> what did that language do? Big, um, it, was, it was in the era where Java was just coming out. Java right. basically, everyone kind of knew that C++ was not really where a lot of people wanted to be, and everyone was looking for an object-oriented language that was not as painful as C++. Yeah. And this was a language trying to do that. <clears throat> Java did it better, frankly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, so they, they ate that lunch. But, That's uh, interesting. Well, I'm glad we have someone with, I, I didn't realize all of that background. I'm glad we've got someone that advanced in the, the team space on these APIs. And so um, there was a lot announced for you guys from what, specifically around Teams on Microsoft Graph last week. Do you want to quickly explain like what was announced? And Yeah, the big thing we announced at, at Ignite was uh, the general availability, when the general availability will be for uh, the Teams Graph APIs for automating team life cycles. We're, we announced that that will be available in November. We also announced that uh, we've introduced a couple new APIs to beta that will be part of that V1. We've introduced APIs for creating tabs inside channels that allow you to pin your apps inside a channel. We also announced, um, trying to remember what we're calling the official name of this, I call it the LOB APIs, <laughs> APIs for installing applications that are specific to your organization. So the line of business is what LOB stands for. Yeah. And uh, those are going to be uh, great for rounding out that automated team lifecycle story where you create a team, you add people to it, you create some channels all automatically, you install some apps into that team, you configure it with tabs, you let users run loose on that, app, on that channel and that team for a while, and then when you're done with it, you can archive it and you can delete the channel or the, the team and channel all automatically. Oh, and the, the last big thing, I almost forgot the, uh, the punchline there, buried the lead there, <laughs> application permissions. We've uh, rolled out application permissions for not all, but most of those APIs. You can create teams with application permissions and channels and read all those things, change the settings, install tabs with application permissions. So for the first time, you can do Teams-oriented stuff without having a logged-in user in front of the keyboard. Right, and so the lifecycle notion is kind of from the creation all the way through to archival. Um, your intent is to provide those APIs of what can be done in the UI you can do via the API. Yep, it's a 
pretty much one-to-one mapping there between what you can do in the UI and what you can do in the APIs, except that they get even more powerful if you do it in application permissions because you have access to every user's stuff, not just one user's. And so um, the scenario that uh, Yina and I demoed in our breakout session is 3322, and I'll have it in the show notes. We demoed a Contoso Airlines demo that kind of it took what you'd built at Build actually um, and kind of wrapped it around this notion of an end user being able to uh, add a new list item to a custom list that had the flight number and the pilot's user object and the flight attendant's user object and and other information that triggered a flow that then called an Azure function that had the same context as the SharePoint user to then execute all of the different graph APIs of which the majority of it was calling Teams APIs. Um, So I guess now we have application permissions, that Azure function might not necessarily needed to be run as the user anymore. It could be run as foo application that's registered in AAD. Yeah, a lot of those those sort of applications will be doing with application permissions is there's there's applications that do it both ways, depending on what exactly you're trying to do. But yeah. uh, the scenario we originally based this off, there's a real airline out there whose name I can't use, who creates new teams based on when there's new flights. Every flight has a new team associated with it. And tomorrow there's another flight. And the day after that, there's another flight. And sometime in the middle of the night, they go through their database of flights and they create teams. And application permissions is the natural way to do that because no one's there in front of the keyboard right. in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess because there's other endpoints on the graph where you could have a user um, sign in once and consent the application to have permissions to call teams, but then you'd have to keep the refresh token and keep getting access tokens to make those calls. Yeah, there's there's sleazy things you can do without application permissions, yeah. but application permissions is really the right way to do it and also uh, a cleaner authorization model. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to play games where you have a pretend admin who uh, has access to all the teams right. and, and is adding himself to these teams to do stuff and then um, you know, kind of hiding in the background. And then from an audit perspective, you can see who's created those teams and it would be the application and not necessarily the sleazy admin or whatever else. Exactly. You, you, you doing see, under. at least by the time we're done, with it, you'll see clear control messages in the team that says, and the audit logs that say, Contoso Airlines application created the FUBAR mm-hmm. team. And, and one thing I observed from doing this, and I've blogged about this in the past too, prior to joining Microsoft actually, was... Uh, that Teams really does become that kind of the user experience or presentation layer through to everything in Microsoft 365. And, you know, the airlines one, it's a perfect one, whether I'm on a laptop because I'm at the gate of the airline or I'm on my cell phone using Teams, I have access to that data. I can have conversations, but it doesn't have to be conversation-centric. Like the tab scenario is really powerful as a UI on top of Teams. And so what kind of tabs can you add using that API? Like, does it have to be a, a predetermined tab that you configure, or it can be pretty, you know, what are the kind of No, um, if anything, there? it's the opposite. It works best with uh, tabs that you write yourself and with website tabs. Uh, but we really, um, a tab from a team's perspective is basically an iframe. Mm-hmm. You tell us 
you, you, when you're configuring the tab as the application configuring a tab, you tell us what the URL is that you want us to display in there. You tell us what the URL is to display when they click the configure button. You tell us what the URL to display is if they click the, I don't want to see this in tabs in teams. I want to see this in the website and my browser button. Basically you just provide three or four URLs or remove URLs. That's the other one, four of them. And that's what a tab is to teams. Mm -hmm. And so to programmatically create a tab through graph, you just provide those four URLs. And so this is really handy if you are the one who uh, created the application yourself. You have that information at your fingertips. Right. For the built-in ones, you might have to read a little documentation to figure out what the magic URLs are. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, both of those scenarios are really enabled with this. Yeah, and I remember Jason Johnson built our Samboys in our team, and um, he created a planner tab, um, and he used the planner APIs to provision a plan within the team, which is undercovers a group, um, and therefore kind of you know servicing that plan as a tab as that flight was created. So there's a lots of scenarios where it doesn't have to be a flight team. It could be all sorts of different other things to snap to, whether it's a an opportunity in a sales CRM that every time it's created in Salesforce, it goes and creates a, a Microsoft team and then adds the tab back yeah. to the Salesforce record and you know, go nuts, have your conversations around that Salesforce record in Teams. Yeah, exactly. Those are some of the most popular scenarios are you have an app that creates a team and you want to add that app to the team you just created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why, why shouldn't that be available in the team you just created? And we have a lot of customers doing that and looking to do that. Um, the other ones that are really popular are some of the built-in tabs that you mentioned. Website tab is really useful. Um, mm -hmm. OneNote planner comes up a lot. SharePoint and all the the document files like uh, Word, PowerPoint, Excel. Yeah, um, I noticed are all also very popular. the SharePoint one because we created a a custom list in our demo that did uh, it was kind of like bad behavior uh, passengers, and on stage I kind of added Yina and saying that she was requesting too many snacks. Um, and she wasn't aware of that demo before I did it on stage and kind of looked at me with a glare and I'm like, yeah, maybe that's not so good for my performance review at the end of the year. Um, but I noticed that when we added that tab with the SharePoint list URL, that it kind of did something to the Chrome. So it really did look like it was just the list view that was in the tab, which was kind of neat. So there's a bunch of work that you guys are doing with the SharePoint and the other teams to kind of have that solid experience within Teams. Yeah, I, I say that tabs are just a you or just an iframe. Um, it's that's true and it's not because <laughs> because of exactly what you pointed out. If you look at all of these first party apps, we've customized all of them in order to look great inside Teams. They're yeah. not they're not exactly the same. They're not the same URL you'd see in a website because we've uh, integrated their Chrome into the Teams application integrated the toolbars and whatnot to look better in that context. And for the for those that kind of have been on this journey for a while, there's this notion of a group and a team. I'm, I'm trying to get guests to kind of explain that relationship because it's not like we all sit on the same floor in Lincoln Square where the guys that own the group's APIs on Graph are the same engineers that own the team's API. So how, how does that work? Like, do you have to work out what feature requests you need and then go work with that team? Like, can you explain that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I'll be honest. That's a, that's an evolving relationship, an evolving um, solution there. We started out, if you look back at the very first graph APIs we did, we, for teams, uh, we, we put them under groups and we claimed that, oh, a team is really just a variation of a group. It's just kind of a, it's, it's a, it's a group with a little extra stuff. Mm -hmm. And 
we went with that for a while, and it really was kind of a painful model for all involved, I think. Um, so we've gone rec- more recently in the last six months or so, we've gone to a model where a team is a thing and it's maybe implemented using a group and occasionally that bleeds through the APIs. But to the most part, a team is a team. You think of a team as a team. Mm-hmm. And um, sure, we may implement it as a group under the covers. And that's really how we've tried to, to position it in the API at this point. Um, it did take some work to get there. Yeah. And we do still have that implementation that uh, the a team, every team is backed by a group. So all those resources in the team are ultimately owned by a group. And so the SharePoint stuff is under a group. The uh, mailbox or the uh, calendar, the group calendar is, is a group thing. The permission scopes that you request is group.read.all. It's, it's group dot. Uh, so there is a bunch of group functionality and we do work with the, uh, the groups guys, which are really two different sets of guys That's uh, right. to, to do this. Uh, it turns out groups is actually both the Azure Active Directory team as well as the, um, Really, I guess I'll call them the Outlook team. That's right. The, and, the uh, M365 core team as we're trying to rebrand ourselves outside of Exchange, I guess. But Yeah, and so we get to work with both of those on uh, some of the feature requests. We yeah, do. I think sometimes like people don't understand the, the complexity, so it's always, always useful to kind of explain all the moving parts to kind of ship some of these things. The, um, the groups aspect, one thing that did come up last week on the booth was because a team is a group, is the ID always going to remain the same? Yes, the the ID is the same. It's uh, um, you have a, a teams teams ID or a group ID. I use the terms interchangeably because they are always the same. Every yeah. every team has exactly one group it corresponds to and belongs to. Some groups have no team, but every you know there's only one group for a given team. And I, I found it interesting you're saying you know with the V1 in November. Uh, that it's the APIs that have been around in beta or beta since build, but we did introduce some new ones last week. The added tab was net new, right? Yeah, that was new. And the, and the uh, line of business APIs, the tenant organization apps, whatever we call them, yeah. organizational apps API as well for installing an app that's specific to your team or specific to your organization. So n- a non-store team. A non-store app. app. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and they will V1 as well in November. They will V1 in November. That's yep. incredible. Okay. Yep. That's great. So, because a lot of the confusion were what's going to go in V1 and what's not, well, this kind of makes that super easy. Yeah. Yeah, we're trying to simplify that around uh, automating team life cycles. If it's for automating team life cycles, it goes in there. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that every single API we have is going to V1. Almost all of them, most of them will go to V1 at this time. There are some messaging APIs that are not ready for V1. And that's why I do talk about automating team life cycles. Mm-hmm. Because as great as messaging is, it's not automating team life cycles. Right, right. So what are the scenarios for the, the messaging yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting scenarios with messaging. I mean, kind of the technology level, it's about reading messages, writing messages, uh, both in, in the channel and in one-on-one and group chats, um, and also getting notified of those things. So when new messages are available, hearing about those things. The Some of the key things we're trying to enable, I think the realistically the first round of useful things I think we're probably going to enable is... Um, analytics applications and data loss prevention applications, which allow you to watch all messages in the entire tenant and 
pass judgment on them in the case of data loss prevention and just analyze them in the case of analytics products. Right, okay. Yeah. And in those scenarios, um, I mean, it, the messages will be visible by the users, but you may have the ability afterwards to remove them or um, change some of the contents. Is that the scenario that you're looking at? Or is it more just to go store those in the external systems? Well, so... Um, Let's walk back through that one by one. So analytics is all about reading as much data as possible and summarizing that for the admins or the team owners or whoever wants that analytics data. Mm -hmm. So you posted, these guys posted 6,000 messages. The, the most talked about word this week was graph or whatever the, the thing is. Um, we noticed that Bob and Sue talked to each other a whole lot. Maybe they're having an affair. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing with this analytics data. Um, you know, th these, these teams are really active. Those teams over there are kind of a dead zone. Like that's, that's the sort of things that, that analytics app is looking right. for. So it's more and like so, read only. Yeah, it's a, it, analytics is a classic read-only scenario. Yeah. Um, whereas your data loss prevention is, I think of it as primarily a read scenario with a little bit of writing in there. So, analyt, uh, sorry, data loss prevention (DLP) for short is about reading every message in the tenant, or, or we will at least give them every message in the tenant, and they'll usually apply some heuristic that says, "Yeah, I'm interested in." Some DLP programs are interested literally in every last message. Some of them will ignore some subset. They're really only interested in communications between people in two different groups, for instance. Maybe mm -hmm. they're the maybe they want to monitor the communications between the customer relations people and the engineering people to make sure credit cards aren't slipping between them or something like that. Right, right. Um, and so data loss prevention program will read all the messages it's interested in. It will apply whatever uh, proprietary logic they do to detect credit card numbers or social security numbers or naughty words or whatever whatever heuristics they want to apply and whatever business rules they want to apply. When they detect it, they will then patch the message and put it into a DLP flagged state that says this message is not cool with DLP. We we do not like you doing this. Mm -hmm. And uh, from that point on, and there's a couple different... Um, severities that the DLP app can choose from, but one of the severities is don't show this message anymore. Uh, it's, okay. it's as if it had been deleted, except that the person who originally posted it still has the text that, so they don't have to type it all in over again. Right. Okay. And then I guess with that scenario, the, the, the analytics scenario uh, with the announcements around the Microsoft Graph Data Connect, um, I mean, that's kind of being positioned as the analytical way of uh, not real time, but being able to observe those things. Is the intent of Microsoft Teams to be part of those data sets that Microsoft Graph Data Connector are looking at? Uh, we're evaluating that. It's it's a very interesting scenario to us. Uh, we need to make a hard uh, judgment about when we can get on that right, train. Right, it's the whole like, priority thing, right? Yeah, because yeah, I think to date it's people, calendar, contacts, and um, messages in mail. Um, where they can do that kind of analytic stuff, but it'd be super useful to have kind of Teams messages in there as well. But as we Absolutely. all know, priorities and yeah. resourcing sometimes get in the way of those things. Well, it, it is about prioritizing. It's it's uh, I, I want messages available in in uh, Data Connect, but I also want messages available. Period. Right like, in the API to start with. Yeah. Do you see the scenarios with messages? Um, in our demo, for instance, we actually posted that there was a flight change, and uh, that was triggered from a flow that called 
Azure Functions that called that as in that instance as the user, but it would make sense now that that was an application call um, to post those messages. Do, do you see that as a, kind of a a different way of doing it rather than using the connectors approach to like have activities showing up in Teams channels from connecting to a particular system? Yeah, connectors. Um, actually, I think less about connectors than I do bots. There's really a fine line between bots and graph. Mm-hmm. Um, like a bot sends messages, it reads certain messages. Um, graph will can do some of those things today and will eventually get actually both both can do them in limited ways, and mm-hmm. Graph will gradually erase those limitations. So I, I think a lot about what is the relationship between bots and Graph, and where we're going long term there is we really want to make bots into a concept that's built on top of Graph. Graph right. is the low-level, uh, uh, full-power platform, and bots are something that's uh, built on top of it that integrates with uh, bot framework that provides that kind of, um, it also provides a security model of a sort mm-hmm. that allows you to um, really only trust the bot in a particular context. And there's a, the whole set of rules around where bots can and can't post. Well, you can only post, you can only send messages to people under these circumstances. You can send a one-on-one message to people and you can, you can post a new thread on the, on a channel, and you can reply to a thread where someone wrote you, but you can't right, reply can't to just, an existing thread right, that you no can't one just mentioned leap you into on. a like conversational this. thread and be like, hey, I'm a bot, and I've just seen you discuss, discussing this Yeah, exactly. This thing. So there's a lot of those rules and policy built into, right. into bots and the bot framework. And yeah. they're, they're good for some scenarios, and they're less good for others. You'd have a hard time building a good analytics program out of the bots. And yet, that's a legitimate thing to do. So we want that lower level there to, uh, to solve those sort of scenarios. Yeah, and and so and again, like that team that's working on bots is, I mean, they're in this building or they're yeah, some they're, of them um, is, right? the the same people who do the bots are also the people who do the uh, graph API for messaging. So oh, they're I didn't know uh, that. Okay. they're sitting about well on the other side of that wall <laughs> behind you. They're about two or three desks behind there. <laughs> and then um, the, we mentioned the application permissions aspects of this. Um, it, does that cover in its entirety all of the graph APIs? There's a bit of a journey that's going on. Yeah, we're, we're currently working our way through the APIs and, and adding application permission support to them one by one. Yeah. Um, we've got a, a bunch of them now. Um, the We have creating teams, creating channels, reading those teams and channels, uh, adding tabs to channels. One that we do not have yet but are adding right now as we speak. We haven't finished... Um, the ability to add an app to a team is one that have, that's uh, that we're working on. Cloning yeah. a team is another one we're working on. Archiving and unarchiving teams, we we actually have kind of, sort of, but not really right now. <laughs> we have some. We're currently running for some workloads. We're currently running fake application contacts for that, and um, actually, actually, we turned the fake one into real one. But we're we're rolling that one out soon for archiving and unarchiving, um, and then. Um, the messaging ones are, are, we are working hard on that, but that's going to take a little while to get application context working in all the different services that need to support application context for messages. Yeah. And then there's a few APIs that um, actually don't support application context, and we don't currently have plans to support the publishing applications to your organizational 
app catalog mm-hmm. is something we don't have applications for, application permissions for, or plans to do so, because we think that's a step that really should involve humans. Yeah, the idea yeah. of apps consenting to other apps is frankly a little scary. Skynet. Like self-publishing app. Yeah, that's right. Take over the world. spams your store or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, we think it's actually a feature that it doesn't allow apps to do that. And, and so we have in our documentation for the graph the section at the top that shows um, the permissions that are needed, yeah. group, group dot stuff. So the best way to know whether it does or doesn't support, the application permissions thing has been populated where it does support or where it doesn't, right? Yep. The, the uh, documentation is up to date on that, that uh, at, the, at the top of each request page basically in the documentation that will tell you which permissions are supported and which aren't. Yeah, and, and uh, I know the open API guys that announce um, some stuff last week at Ignite where there's now a GitHub repo that kind of is like a, a description of the whole graph. Um, they are working on hosting that much like the dollar metadata on the graph as well. Nice. And there's some initiatives going on about getting permissions into that too. Um, so that'll be another way that you can do that kind of dynamic checking of seeing what's happening on the the changes of, I know there's people out there as you're driving, you'll grin to yourself that are comparing versions of the metadata to see what's changed on the graph. But um, I, I do we, look at it from time to time. We made a consensus effort with the changelog this with Ignite to make sure that the changelog docs listed everything that genuinely changed in the service and the docs. And I know you guys nice. had a bunch of stuff there that's yeah, been added yeah, in the links. We got some stuff in there for Ignite only barely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Uh, like Angela on my team was pulling her hair out trying to rain all the cats. Yeah, the week yeah, before we were, Ignite, and we were uh, pestering Laura well into uh, late Friday yeah, and the right. day before Ignite. There's, there's a huge amount of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, and they're, they're never credited. So a big thanks to Laura and Angela um, for the work they do on that stuff because the docs are just super important for us to get developers unblocked and reduce the amount of uh, confusion and questions they get on things like yeah. Stack Overflow. And so uh, the future. So um, I'll not hold back on one of the questions we constantly got at Ignite, which was, hey, look, Teams is great, but uh, in a lot of scenarios, it requires admin consent um, to deploy these things because of the notion of group read-write-all that is required to do anything with the API. Um, I know you've heard that loud and clear, but what kind of... Um, what can you talk about today on the show to a public audience around where, what your thinking is there? Yeah, the way, um, just to recap the problem that you're seeing is that uh, the key permission for most of Teams is group.read.all and group.readwrite.all, and both of those require admin consent. A normal user can't, it can't allow an app to do that. Only an admin can say, yes, you're allowed to do that. Um, and that is painful, very painful uh, for a number of reasons, including who is my admin? I don't right. even know who my admin my is. My company's too big and I don't um, know. Yeah, exactly. Like my company's too big. I, I don't know who the admin at Microsoft is. First of all, there's more than one, but mm-hmm. I don't even know where to find them. Um, and I work here. So, <laughs> uh, so it, it's definitely a pain point. Um, the way we're thinking about it is one of the key, the, the key reason that we're in this situation is we want the owner of the data to be the one who consents. The, not everyone who's in the team is an owner of the data. It's the, the team has an owner. The, any random member of that team is not an owner of the data. They're a member of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a team owner. Currently in, in Graph and AAD, we really only have two different kinds of consent. There's the individual user can consent, and then there's the admin can consent. 
we need to build a model where someone in between can consent, and we need to build a model where that consent can be scoped to a particular group or team. Like the, the model is, I consent to this app. For every group, it, it feels like interacting with. Well, that's, that's a terrible model. We really want a model right. where um, you consent to that app using one group, not every group. Uh, and that's that's really where we want to go, and it's it's uh, a long journey that we're uh, yeah starting a, down, but we have a long way to go before it's it's really useful. To there people. was a lot of moving parts to that. There's a bunch of teams involved, and actually, um, the, I'll make sure this is in the show notes as well. There was a session that uh, Jeff Suckerwich did, uh, who's in the identity side that owns kind of the consent flows for Azure Active Directory applications, and one of the things he talked about was this notion that. Um, now it'll can if you don't know the admin, it'll eventually. Um, I'm not sure whether we announced that it was live in the product or whether it's coming soon. Uh, go for a whole approval process of notifying the admin that Nick Kramer wants this thing installed in his group. Can you please yeah. consent it? Rather than it kind of being this brick wall of go find your admin and get yeah. him to click on this link. That's that's the expression they use, the brick wall. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other thing that uh, so we actually announced in our session, and it, it's so going to be available in November as well, is um, if an administrator goes into an application that's maybe already been consented as a user consent, uh, rather than having to build that horrible URL to do the admin consent, um, now there's a button there that will, when you click on it, will force the admin to go through an admin consent flow without having to kind of go get the application ID and work out what the URL is to do that. So there's a few things that, um, you know, we're on the journey, but it's not great. Um, but that end goal of being able to consent something for an individual group on an individual team is um, where we're trying to get to. But there's no dates or anything on that because there's so many different teams involved in that right now. Yeah, we, we got a long way to go there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was actually meeting yesterday where they were like, yeah, we, there's a fair amount of work that needs to be done to get to that point. But yeah. that is the end goal. And um, I just wanted to kind of bring that up just so that people know that yeah. we are aware of it and there is a user voice where people are voting on that stuff too. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. Um, where can people learn about Microsoft Teams? What's the how, – how would you kind of push people who are trying to work out how to do the lifecycle aspects and play with messaging? So I would start with the graph documentation. There's a, a nice table of contents on the left, and one of the nodes in there is Microsoft Teams, and that's really a good jumping off point. It'll tell you, that first document will tell you why should you care about Teams from a graph perspective, at least. There's a link off, uh, fairly prominently, there's a link off to the other non-graph aspects of the Teams platform, like those, you can do bots and tabs that have nothing to do with the graph, or you can do bots and tabs that call graph, or you can call graph outside of bots and tabs. <laughs> yeah. You can do all those combinations. There's some links on that that uh, page within the docs, uh, the, the graph documentation. From there, you can go on to uh, overview what are the methods that we offer on Teams, on channels, on apps, on tabs, uh, navigate from there. Yeah, and then um, the GitHub repo, the github.com slash Microsoft Graph, if you type in Contoso Airlines there, again, it'll be in the show notes, you'll be able to see the sample that Jason Johnson um, built for our session. And I believe we're working on with you with some other um, repos. We'll get up and running for other Microsoft Teams samples as well. Yeah, so, I need to take a look at the latest bits that you guys yeah, uh, that's right. came up with. We for never had time Airlines. to review it. Um, it was like, okay, we're going to just demo this stuff on Tuesday and hopefully Nick, uh, Nick, yeah, Nick approves. Exactly. <laughs> hopefully it goes okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah. so uh, that same overview page I mentioned uh, does actually link to some of the graph samples, so the, the C-sharp samples we have today. And then you, that's a great reminder. I should go add the uh, link to 
that repo as well, the Contoso Airlines. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, look, thanks very much, Nick. I really appreciate you carving out some time to do the show. And um, we'll definitely get you on and we can share some more good news with the announcements kind of around the build time and maybe even have a bit of a short show on the, the November the big push button of V1 of all these uh, APIs as well. well. Thank you for having me on. Cool. It's a pleasure. Cheers, buddy. Thanks. For listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 